Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer, and I'm so happy you're here. Today, I'm really looking forward to speaking with Jock Climey about creating and balancing successful careers in both law and football. Jock's been practicing law for over 25 years, and during that time, he also juggled two careers in football, first as a professional player with the CFL, then as a TSN on-air football analyst. Welcome to the XL Legal Podcast, Jock. Oh, thanks, Shelley. Pleasure to be, uh, to be with you. Well, thanks so much for being here. Dual careers in law and football is pretty unique. So in terms of timing, I'm wondering what came first for you, your legal career or your football career? Well, I guess it depends on how far back you go. Uh, you know, I, I think about um, a, a law course that I took in high school in grade 12 that uh, really inspired me and got me first thinking that maybe a career in law would be uh, something I'd want to look uh, look at. But, you know, if you'd ask, uh, ask me when I, well, people did ask me when I was four years old, what do you want to be when you grow up? I told them I want to be a CFL football player. Um, and so I, I didn't get a chance to play uh, organized football till grade 12. Um, uh, so I sort of had that football and law as career aspirations from a pretty early age. Uh, but then I uh, was playing Queens football. Uh, so for, I had a four-year career at Queens. And my fourth year at Queens was my first year of law school. So I did a three-year undergrad at Queens and I went into law school, did a full year of law school. And that's when I got drafted into the CFL. So it was at that point that the two things really intersected and, and I had to start making some choices. Wow. So, okay. So then, yeah, let's hear about the choices that you ultimately did make. Well, uh, luckily for me, uh, I had completed first year law school and as all law school graduates know, first year is uh, made up of full year courses. And then after that, second and third year are, are one semester at a time. Um, courses are all broken down into, into, into semesters. So I, I hadn't really thought any of this out. I didn't really think that I had a career in the CFL to look forward to uh, until probably um, partway through my my last year of Queen's football, which is, as I said, my first year of law school. And, and I started getting um, some hints that uh, scouts were coming and, and looking and, and whatnot. And then I was drafted in the first round um, uh, sometime, I think, around February or March. And so I, I thought, geez, how, how am I going to do this now? Uh, I've got law school coming up in uh, you know next September, but this, the football season runs you know June to, to November. So I went in and saw the dean of the law school at the time. And I said, look, I've had this, uh, I've had this <laughs> pretty unique experience of being drafted in the first round. And is there any way uh, I could just do law school in the winter semester? Um, so instead of graduating in three years, I would ultimately graduate after five. Uh, it had never been done before. And I was quite apprehensive that the answer would simply be, we don't do that. Um, but uh, Dean White uh, was incredibly accommodating and open-minded and just thought, why not? Just because it hasn't been done before doesn't mean it can't be done. And uh, I think he asked around a little bit and then came back to me and said, sure, it's it's a deal. So, of course, I then had to go off and, and make the team, um, which uh, was a challenge. But, you know, as anybody could tell you, has been through a, a professional training camp. But I, I made the team at the time, the Toronto Argos, uh, got traded halfway through the season to Ottawa. But my CFL career was started and, and, and the, you know, the combination of law and football, you know, started in earnest. And that was uh, in 1990. 
Wow. Wow. So how did you manage the, you know, sort of the, the competing demands of law school and, you know, the beginning of your professional football career? I've talked a lot about it over the years and, and certainly lots of people have been, have been, I guess, impressed with the idea that I did law school and played pro football at the same time. And I've always been quick to tell people that they shouldn't be too impressed by it um, because really I, I, I was incredibly fortunate and just had the best of both worlds. I mean, I, I got to, you know, be a professional athlete for six months um, and I'm playing the CFL, not the NFL. So I'm making some money, but you know, not, not a ton of money, but I had, I certainly had money when I came back to law school and now I get to be a student. Um, but a student with a little bit of cash, um, and, and, and do the sort of cerebral academic thing for, for four months, um, and then go back to being a football player. I, I just felt like I was, uh, I won the lottery to be able to do those two things. I mean, the, the, probably the, the most challenging aspect of it was just the, 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 the changing, um, the, the switchover. I mean, going from one to the other was always challenging. It's tough to go from, uh, a CFL locker room with you know everything that, that goes along with with that, and you can probably just imagine to walking into law school where you know everybody's you know it doesn't really care about that stuff. I mean, there was lots of people who were impressed that I played football, but they'd be more impressed if I got it, if I got straight eights, or you know if I, if I if I won the gold medal in, in Professor Stewart's uh, criminal course or what, what have you. So, um, and then same thing when I go back into the locker room after being away for six months. I got to get back into being able to relate and, and identify with with guys from all over North America in a in a in a pretty sort of rough and tumble sport. So those transition periods were tough, but you know otherwise I just felt like I I was very fortunate. Yeah, yeah, wow, and and okay. So back then, back in the day, then you would article after law school. So how did you manage articles? Yeah, so that was the next challenge that was upcoming. And I, you know, when I first started in the CFL, I didn't know if I'd play two years, three years, you know, thought maybe four years if I was lucky. But uh, you know, my career took off pretty quickly, and I was an all-star within by my third year. And and it now it looked like I could probably have a longer career if I wanted one. Uh, and now I'm graduating from law school in '94, and I got to figure out articles. Well, again, I can only do it half a year at a time, so. I approached Don Bain, who I'd known my whole life. He was um, one of the most uh, renowned criminal defense lawyers in the country. And all I wanted to do was do criminal defense law. That was my, the sum total of my ambition through law school. So I, I, I talked to him about splitting my articles and doing six months at a time at his firm. He said, absolutely. And it was, I think, near the end of my, my, uh, my articles with him, the first six months around, he, he came to me and said, hey, you want me to call the Crown's office and see if they'll take you on? for your articles next year and you can get an, an opportunity to experience what it's like to be on the prosecution side and he said that'll make you a, an even better criminal defense lawyer if you've seen the other side and then you come back to us and you have a career at, at bain seller Boxall. and again i just thought uh i I'd, I'd hit the jackpot in terms of my luck because he called the crown's office and they 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 immediately hired me um uh, for, for my articles the following year so now i had my my two six month stints lined up uh, continued to play in between. And it was in my second uh, go around with articles with the Department of Justice that I had my first exposure to labor law. So I had to do a, a rotation. So criminal was obviously my first choice. They told me I had to do a non-litigation rotation in some other area. I didn't wasn't interested in non-litigation. In and then they sort of quietly whispered to me that labor was, for whatever reason, uh, dubbed a non-litigation uh, area. So I jumped at that. Didn't take a single employment law or labor law course in, in law school. Didn't know anything about it. Uh, 
but I was doing my own arbitrations within a month of being there and absolutely loved it and realized that, you know, as much as I thought criminal law was where my future lay, I was wrong. And that uh, I, I knew right then and there that labor is what I wanted to do. Um, and so I had to give Don, you know, the bad news after that year that I was going to stay with the Department of Justice and keep doing labor litigation every off season for the foreseeable future. And that's what I did. Well, and I'll, I mean, there's just so many interesting um, points there, Jock, that you mentioned. But one that jumps out at me is the fact that you hadn't even taken a course in labor in law school. And yet that really sparked something in you uh, during that second six month period of your articles. It's why I have so much uh, sympathy for any young person, you know, whether they're in high school, college, university, law school. You know, you're making choices about uh, career paths that are going to affect you for the rest of your life, and you're doing it on a very little uh, amount of information. And, and yet, everybody expects you to to have a sense of of what you should be doing and, and what what you want to do and why you want to do it. And here, I believe that all I was ever meant to do was criminal law. And all it took was a three-month labor law rotation to convince me that I had it wrong. Um, you know, thankfully, I was not at a place at that time that would have held it against me that I didn't have an employment law. I didn't have any employment law or labor law in my, uh, uh, in my background from law school. Uh, there, I mean, if I tried to apply to Neiman Herndon, for example, or another firm uh, right out of uh, uni- uh, right out of law school without any of those things on <laughs> on my transcript, forget it. I mean, I would have been a non-starter. Uh, and so, when I did wind up going to Neiman Herndon in two thousand, um, I'd had you know three off seasons, as it were, at that point of labor litigation. I mean, I, I came to them as a seasoned, almost a seasoned labor litigator. Uh, so they were, they welcomed me with open arms, but there, there would be, I don't, I doubt there's a single lawyer at Eamon Herndon in its 30 year history that doesn't have a single labor law, um, course on their transcript other than me. That's so interesting. And also, I guess there's also an argument to, uh, to keep the articling term. I know there's talk in Ontario about, um, well, they've certainly reduced it from back then. You did 12 months, as did most of us. And now they're down to, I think they're even at eight months. Uh, and then one day I'm sure they're going to do away with articles altogether. And that would be such a shame. I mean, that would have closed that door. That door would never have been open to you. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, it's, it is, I guess, why traditionally, um, so many law students want to go to the big national firms, um, where they have many different, um, areas of practice and they get to cycle through them and get to get exposed to a whole bunch of them and really find out what they're, what they're good at and be what they like. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, I I can always appreciate that. I, at the time, had absolutely no interest in being at a big firm in downtown Bay Street in Toronto. Uh, I knew that from the absolute first get-go, that that was not going to be of interest to me. Um, I wanted to be in a small boutique firm, but I I mean, as I said, I stumbled, I stumbled on labor law. Otherwise, you know, who knows what I would have chosen, but uh, at least with, you know, with that's, that's, that's an opportunity that, that articling students have at the big firms that they have, they get a chance to, to try their hand at a whole bunch of different things. But it's, uh, you know, like a lot of things in life, it's, you, you, it's the best guess that, you know, that, that that's all you can, that's all you can really do. And I always encourage people, um, just talk to as many people as you can. You, you might not be able to practice wills and estates, but you can probably pick up the phone and find someone to talk to who does. Um, and find a little bit about what, what their lives, you know, professional lives are like, um, you know, that's the key to me is just fact-based decision-making. And then the more information you can have, the better the chance of you making a good decision. 
Yeah, yeah. Good advice. Good advice. So just going back now, okay, so you've articled, um, and you, you know, you've made a commitment to stay on with, um, with Department of Justice. What happens in bar ads? I mean, back again, back then it was very different than it is now. Like you had to attend and go to attend classes, write exams in person. So how did you manage that with your uh, football career? Yeah, that was the sort of looming Mount Everest in my life, you know, and I, and I knew that even from the time I started my articles, I, I was looking, looking at, at that and that future and realizing, okay, I could figure out a way to do law, law school and play football. I could figure out a way to do articles and play football, but there was no way to do uh, my bar exams and play football because bar exams, as you recall, was uh, mandatory in class five days a week from starting right after Labor Day in September all the way through to, to December, mid-December. Um, and I was playing at the time for the Montreal Alouettes, and but I couldn't play anywhere in the CFL. Didn't 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 really matter. If I was playing in Ottawa, it wouldn't have mattered. I, I don't. I couldn't have I'd done both. And so I kept going back to the Department of Justice. Ninety six, ninety seven. I was back to justice, and I, you know, what I saw is that all all the people I went to law school with, who all graduated in ninety two, I'm already delayed in that. I'm taking a, taking five years to get through, so I'm already backed up, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm graduating in ninety four. They're all at this point uh, through articles, you know, through the bar exams. They're all called to the bar and now accumulating those all important years of call. And as you know, as a lawyer, your your pay and your reputation is all based on your year of call. And here I am, what I felt like was treading water. Yes, I was getting this incredible experience litigating at the Department of Justice, doing uh, arbitrations all across the country on behalf of the federal government. Incredible experience. And yet I was really just considered a glorified articling student at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, my career in the CFL uh, at this point, I'm now with the Alouettes in 96 and 97 is going gangbusters. I'm an all-star both both years. I'm at the top of my game. And yet I feel like I'm now stagnating on the, on the, on the law side. And so uh, in a couple of interviews, I was quoted as having said that I'm considering retiring because I really wanted to to get my uh, call to the bar. And there was no way to do the two at the, at the same time. And I remember hearing about Ken Dryden having taken a year off hockey, you know, with a bunch of all Canadians to get his call to the bar. And mm-hmm. uh, and I was thinking, I'll probably do that. But then, you know, once I'm a lawyer, am I really going to want to go back to the CFL? I wasn't sure. Um, so anyway, um, this was out there in the papers. And then one day I got a call from Jim Pop who was a general manager of the Alouettes at the time, this is in 97 or so. And he says, Hey, we, you know, we hear you're thinking about retiring. I just want you to know, we would, we would be prepared to accommodate you to write your bar exams in Ottawa. And while you're playing with us in Montreal. And I said, Jim, there's no, that's not even possible. Um, and he said, Jock, I got confidence in you. You'll figure it out. And yeah, call me when you have, and he hangs up. And, you know, that was, you know, that was the, the beginning of, you know, what, what has ended up being, you know, the, the most challenging, um, uh, endeavor I've ever embarked on in my life, I suspect. Um, but I sat down with, you know, pen and paper and some schedules, you know, the CFL schedule and the, and the, and the bar ad schedule. And I sort of mapped the two and I looked at uh, various options and I came up with a plan. And, you know, about a month later, I called Jim and I said, okay, I, 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 it's feasible. It will be insane, but it's feasible. And he goes, okay, tell me, tell me about it. And I said, well, I have to be in class every day from nine to 1230. Um, Practice typically starts at one o'clock in Montreal, and we're in in meeting from one till three, and then we hit the field at three, or on the field from three to five or five thirty. So I said, "Look, I could 
you know, be in class till 1230, jump in my car, drive to Montreal to Olympic Stadium with about two and a half hours from downtown Ottawa. So I'd get there right around three. So right around the time the guys would hit the field, I can quickly change, get in the field, but I'd miss meetings. Um, but I'd be on the field and then I'd have to jump in my car, drive back to Ottawa, get home around nine. Um, and then I have to study for a couple of hours, uh, every night. And then I have to do that from basically Labor Day to, uh, to the Grey Cup, which is the end of November. And I said, look, there's, <laughs> I don't know how I can do it, but I, I'm, I, I, I'm prepared to give it a shot. Uh, but as I said, it's going to mean missing meetings and it's going to mean, uh, also there was one really big challenge, which was the, there was a game in Winnipeg on a Friday and the game was at seven and I had an exam, a bar exam uh, that Friday morning. So I said, normally the team flies out as a team the day before a game and you have all, you know, you have practice the day before and you, you know, you're prepping and then you, you're at the stadium by whatever, three hours before game time. I said on this particular, this is the only conflict in the schedule, but I can I can technically do it because I could catch a flight out of Ottawa at like two o'clock after my exam. I'd get in at four or five and I could rush to the stadium and I could still be there by game time. And so anyway, I put laid this up this plan out to him. He said, Let's do it. And uh and we did. So and sure enough, it was absolutely the most challenging thing I've ever done. The, the first half of the season goes swimmingly. I'm 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 think I'm third in the league in receiving, first in the, on my team. I'm having a banner year uh, in 1998 at this point, and then Labor Day hits, and now this whole thing starts. And I can tell you, I had, had a head coach at the time who wasn't the least bit happy about this. Uh, this was foisted on him. This is unheard of. This is professional football. There's no such thing as a part-time professional football player. This was uh, this, this did not go over well in the media. It did not go well with the coaches. Most of my teammates were supportive, but some some weren't. Um, cause here's this guy who's missing all the meetings, showing up, barely making practice, you know, jumping into his, his, can't get off the field quickly enough to get back in his car and drive home. And everybody figured that I'm probably half my minds on my exams rather than on the game. But anyway, I'll, I'll pause there, but that, that was, that was sort of how that, that whole thing, um, got, got going. Yeah. Wow. And how did you, I mean, it just sounds like you had no time to do make that transition, um, from, you know, like bar ed preparation exams you know thinking like a lawyer and then going you know and like boom you're right on the field and you're in play so how how did you how were you able to shift focus and do both of things like it's just it's astounding to me well it it, it was um sheer uh willpower at the time i mean uh, I, a number of people told me before that a number of, a number of lawyers told me as I was uh, thinking about doing this, that this was the, the, the craziest thing that I'd ever heard, completely absurd and not possible. As you'll recall, bar exams, there was nine exams. If you failed a single one of them, you're not called like you're done. Like you could, you could, you could pass eight, but you fail one and it's done. And they said, there's no way you can play professional football in Montreal while you're doing this and pass all these exams. And then the football players are saying, there's no way you can be doing this and be succeeding on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as I heard people say, you can't do it, I was now determined to do it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, at the time there was lots written about it, lots of articles about it, um, uh, across the country. It was, it was, uh, you know, certainly, uh, well-known, but you know, people would often call it the experiment. You know, this is, they're going to, Montreal's going to try this experiment where they're going to take their receiver, you know, one of their the leading receivers and, and, and let them do this. I just went into it with, with, with laser like focus. Um, and you know, when all said done, it, it wasn't. <laughs> it, it went okay. First of all, the, on the on the exam side, it went more than okay. I think I averaged over ninety on all my exams, 
which if you may recall, all you needed was 60 to pass. Yeah. My goal in going into that thing was to get 61 on every exam. That's all I wanted. 60, who, who cares? No, no prospective employer ever cares or asks anybody what they got on the exam. It doesn't matter if you get 61 or 91. Mm-hmm. And yet I got 90 because I was so focused on, on making sure I didn't fail. Uh, it would have been like it would have been on the page in the front pages of sports pages if I failed, right? Like so, I was not going to fail. Plus, I really wanted my call to the bar. So anyway, that focus just in, uh, propelled me to m- much higher marks than I really should have gotten. On the football side, I went from the leading te- receiver on the team going into the Labor Day weekend to dropping off after two three weeks into the into the second half of the season. To the point where, you know, the quarterback lost confidence in me. My coaches lost confidence in me. And I was pretty much, they, they switched me to another position, a wide receiver position, and stopped throwing me the ball. And so now the media is all over this, that, you know, this whole, this experiment hasn't worked, that I'm hurting the team because I'm not there at practice and I'm not getting the ball thrown to me. And so one of my favorite stories that I've told many times over the years is just this game in Toronto, probably five weeks into this so-called experiment. And I'm pretty down. I mean, it's, it's very hard to look my teammates in the eye and to feel like I'm part of the team when, you know, I, th- this whole thing is just not working out on the football field. We're still winning as a team, but I am not contributing the way I was before. Instead of catching five or six balls a game, I'm catching one or two if I'm lucky. Um, but we went into this game and Tracy Ham, who was a quarterback at the time, suddenly looks at me in the locker room as if he suddenly remembered that I was on the team. And he just gave me this look. And sure enough, the first play of the game, he goes back and I'm I'm running a go. And I just figure I'm just running the defense off and there's no way he'll throw to me. And he throws me this deep pass and surprises me so much that I drop it. Um, and now I'm, I mean, I, I can't, I can't even begin to describe this feeling at this point where now I just look completely, uh, ill-prepared and, and, uh, like I've lost whatever I, whatever I might've had, but he came right back to me and he came back to me and he came back to me and I wound up with 150 yards and two touchdowns and, uh, had a, just, uh, you know, a, a, a mind-blowing sort of a game. Um, and from then on, it was all you know, accolades and, and, uh, and people pumped up and excited. And and I went back to catching five or six balls a game. We went into the Eastern final against Hamilton. I had nine catches for over a hundred yards, um, in the biggest game of my career at that point, we unfortunately lost on a last second, uh, field goal, no time on the clock, 53 yards. Uh, that was my, going to be my first opportunity to play in a great cup. Uh, and we lose that's on a Sunday. That ball probably goes to the uprights around, uh, four, four o'clock on a Sunday. And I had an exam in Ottawa the next morning at 9am. So I I had to leave all my, I couldn't even have time to say goodbye to my teammates. Just jump, like shower, jump in a cab, fly to the, the the train station, take a train all the way back to Ottawa, got in around midnight. And the next morning I'm writing an exam as I've just, you know, suffered the worst um, loss that I've had in my, at that point, eight year career. So that, Plus that game in Winnipeg, you know, are some of the things that that stand out as as a really challenging time um, (laughs) through that. But it worked out. I mean, I, you know, I wound up having a decent season on the field and I wound up passing all my exams. And so, you know, I got through it. Incredible. Incredible. So I'm wondering, has anybody, that experiment obviously was a success. So has anybody else tried it since? No. No, <laughs> no, uh, no, no. As, as far as I know, I'm the only person on the planet who's ever done that. Um, so I, I take some pride in that. I suppose it's a bit of a niche, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, it's it. Uh, uh, there, there are people who have done it since they changed the, the the system. I think there was a guy in Montreal. Quebec had a different system, so I think he he did it, but it was a different time of year or something. But 
certainly nobody did what what I had to do, which was you know ten class in one city and, and be part of a team in another. Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, all September, October, and half of November. So it's two and a half months of of doing that that routine of of classes in the morning and then driving to Montreal in the afternoon for practice. And then what happened after that? So okay, you get through bar ads and you get called. Um, do you take a break at all, or do you just jump right into sort of continuing your practice at Department of Justice? Yeah, jump right back in. I mean, now now I'm a lawyer, so I'm excited. I mean, I'm not taking a year off at this point. So I, uh, you know, season ends and uh, I finish my exams up in mid to, through mid December and January. You know, second, I'm in the office again at, at the Department of Justice, back doing labor litigation, but now as a as a full fledged lawyer. Um, and so I continued uh, doing that, playing and. Uh, playing football and practicing. And then in 2000, I joined Eamon Herndon, where it's the firm I'm at uh, now, obviously. Uh, I joined them in 2000. I, I've been with the government now since 95, and I was starting to get the feeling like maybe private practice was was my calling, that that loved the government, the experience that I had there, but I, I just I, I couldn't picture myself there for the next 30 years. Um, and I knew the folks at Eamon Herndon. Um, uh, and so, uh, I, I, I went with them for, for, for six months, played one more year in Montreal in 2001, and then went back to Eamon Herndon for good. And then as I'm, as the newspapers are reporting that I am likely hanging, I'm hanging them up and, and retiring. I immediately get a call from TSN to say, here, we heard you're retiring. We'd love to have you come do, uh, do some broadcasting with us. And that was the, uh, the start of the next stage. All right. So I can kind of understand the part-time football, part-time law practice, but I can't imagine how you could be practicing full-time and then working for TSN as well. Was that part-time also? Yeah. So um, TSN in, in at that point in 2002 was splitting the games with CBC. CBC would do one game a week and they'd do all the playoffs and TSN would do 50 games a year. Um, so they'd basically do everything else. Um, and so, you know, that again, that was, that was another big challenge. It was a bit like when Jim Pop called me up and, and said, you figure this out. And I had to see if I could figure this out. So I went to the partnerships and I partnership and I said, I'm getting this opportunity. Are you okay with it? And they said, well, as long as it doesn't hurt your client service and your billable hours, go for it. Um, and, you know, I sort of mapped it out and, and, and figured out a way to do it. And then I, you know, went on to do that for the next 17 years. Um, and again, some challenges, but not as hard as people think. Um, you know, the, the, the thing about uh, uh, broadcasting uh, CFL football games, the CFL football games are only at nights and on weekends. And I don't practice law at nights and on weekends, typically, <laughs> at least I try not to. Um, and if I had to do some work on the weekend, you know, I've got all day to do it. I mean, the, the broadcast, a game is, you know, typically about a five hour commitment, two hours prep before the game and then three hours for the game. Uh, so, you know, most games were, I were, was, it was typically somewhere between three and four games a week, somewhere between Thursday and Sunday. So, so you can imagine each game taking up five hours, you know, all in the evenings and on the weekends, I basically practice law, you know, around that. Uh, so, I typically fly to Toronto on a Thursday or Friday afternoon. I would be on the phone with clients all the way, you know, to the airport. Um, you know, I joke with many clients about how I would be, you know, have to put them through the x-ray machine because I'd be talking to them on the phone. I get, I'm getting to security. I'd say, just give me a second. I'm going to put you through the x-ray machine. We can keep talking on either side of it. And I, you know, I, I'd walk up, I'd be talking all to the gate and then I'd get on the plane and I'd, I'd work on whatever files I had going. And then I'd drive to the studio, oftentimes talking to clients uh, through Toronto rush hour traffic. 
And then I'd walk into the studio at five o'clock or four o'clock or six o'clock, whatever time it was on a Thursday or Friday, and then switch gears. Now I am a broadcaster and I've got, I've got three guys sitting there who, uh, who have done nothing but think about football for a week. They don't have other jobs. This is their full-time jobs is the broadcaster. And now I walk into the studio, hanging out from a client or thinking about what file I'm, I'm working on. And now I'm trying to figure out, you know, who's playing and what I'm going to, what I'm going to talk about at, <laughs> in the pregame show. So there were some challenges uh, in in the early days with that, but I basically you know got got good at switching gears there as well, and and it's all about shifting focus from one thing to the other. Right, right. Wow, you've talked a lot about focus certainly, and making that transition between on the call activities is so much more than that, but um, tasks. Other things that you think contributed to your success and your ability to sort of juggle these two and three careers, I guess, at the same time. Well, it, I mean, I, a, a lot of it is is the fake it till you make it kind of a, an approach. I think you know you, you, you've got, and I and I believe that really is just what confidence is, right? And, and confidence is so important. It's a, it's important as a as a lawyer. It's important as a litigator. It's important as a football player and a broadcaster. Um, you, you've got to carry yourself with confidence. If you carry yourself. Um, as though you can do it, then everybody else will believe this thing that they've never seen done will get done. Um, if, if you go in doubting, looking trepidatious, then it's no wonder that people will perhaps not be there to support you when you really need it. Uh, so I, I am a big believer in, 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 in the old fake until you make it. I certainly did that as a broadcaster. I mean, I, I, you know, TSN didn't have any kind of training. There was, no training. I mean, they literally handed me a mic and put me on TV in front of half a million people for my first game. Um, and with, with virtually with no, no practice, uh, just here you go. And I, I had to go off based on what I'd seen when I'd see them on TV. I just tried to emulate them and, 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 uh, and act like I knew what I was doing. Um, and you know, same, same with clients. I mean, I wasn't apologetic to clients at, at, at the end of the day, what I'm doing at nights and on weekends shouldn't really affect them. I'm sure there were clients who thought, you know, how much service am I really getting from a guy who's, who's spending, you know, all this time thinking about football, but you know, you get to know, you get to know your clients and you have developed relationships with them and, and they learn to trust you. And again, if you, if you act like you've got it all under control and then the people are around you are going to trust you. And, and all of that also, as, as I said, you, you got to carry yourself with confidence, but you also have to, you also have to deliver. And, and for that, you need focus. And, and that's why that, that, that word keeps coming up when I talk about my career is that when it's time to bear down, it's time. And I try to teach my kids that too. I mean, it's, it's exam time. You'll have time to play in your computer, your, you know, play with your buddies, whatever it is, you play in your phone, whatever it is. But now this is the time you've got to bear down. And then there'll be plenty of time for, for playing later. And I've always subscribed to the work hard, play hard sort of, sort of approach. And I, I think I learned that at Queens and I carried that through for the rest of my career. Mm-hmm. And I imagine, you know, passion plays a big part in that as well. Like I can, it's still evident how passionate you are about football. Yeah, for sure. I mean, unfortunately, you can't teach passion, right? And so I, I, I sort of really talk about, I rarely talk about that because you either have it or you don't. But yes, I mean, I wouldn't have taken on these challenges if it wasn't really important to me. I was given a gift, the, the ability to combine two things I'm very passionate about for 29 years, football and law. I kept getting the opportunity to, to, to combine those, those passions. And so it was up to me to figure out a way to do that. Um, because somebody out there was prepared to give me the opportunity. Um, and you know, this for the last three years, it's the first time in 29 years that I haven't been doing both of those things. 
and it's certainly a different kind of life. I'm, I'm certainly enjoying the slower pace of things, um, but I, uh, I'm very appreciative of the fact that I got to to sort of live that 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 what I you know what was really a <laughs> hustle and bustle sort of lifestyle for a long time, and because I mean combined with that, I, I had a wife and three kids and. And yeah, you know, trying to balance all those things. I mean, balance, you know, focus and balance are probably, and passion are probably those three keywords for me. And, 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 and again, it was all about when it's time to focus. When I did have, you know, the time with my kids, that's, that's what it's about. It's, you're not, you're not trying to, you know, juggle a file or, or watch a football game while you're now, you know, getting a chance to be with your kids. So I really did try to, to be the best dad I could when I, when I, when I was there, but obviously my kids, uh, did without their 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 daddy a fair bit because um, I had to be at TSN on weekends for you know for four and a half months of the year usually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm also hearing um, resilience, maintain that determination to achieve something after maybe you had some setbacks or some challenges. Would you say that played a role too? Yeah, I mean for sure. But resilience is sort of like passion, right? It's, I'm not sure it can be taught. You know, I think balance and and focus and planning and preparation can be taught. Um, it, you know, it's it it goes back to that whole thing: is it does challenging times build character or reveal character? I'm still trying to figure that out, um, but I think it's a fascinating question. I I have a tendency to think that 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 it, it reveals character, um, but understanding the importance of resilience and understanding that that when when setbacks happen and you feel beat down and uh you feel like you failed understanding that it's temporary and a new day will dawn and and there's going to be an opportunity for you to move past that that is such a huge part of life and um you know i've just sort of laid out in brief terms uh what my journey was but i <laughs> I can tell you there were there were an awful lot of setbacks, an awful lot of failures, an awful lot of really down times through that period as I'm trying to do something that nobody else has, has done before. And um, and yet, when I think back on those 29 years, I don't I, I don't I don't really remember those 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 difficult times. I just remember the fact that I that I, I was able to, to somehow uh, achieve the dream. And I imagine there are other people, too, that supported you throughout. I can't imagine just, you know, being able to do it on your own. And I'm sure there were some, as you mentioned, a few detractors and people were saying, you know, no, it's impossible to do it. So it sounds like a good support network, too, is also quite important. Yeah, it's it's critically important. Um, I, I'll, I'll never forget getting a letter from a judge in Cornwall who had read in the newspaper that I was going to do this bar exam thing in, in Montreal and in Ottawa. And, and he wrote and he said, hey, uh, if you if you just let me know um, uh, what day works for you, I will pick you up at bar exams and I'll drive you to the big O so you can sit in the backseat and study and I can tutor you as we go. And then I'll drive you back um, and we can talk about whatever you're working on. <laughs> I, I wrote this judge back and I said, that's the, that's the most generous, amazing thing I've ever had, had anybody offer me, but I cannot accept. I'm, I'm sorry, but a judge is not driving me to practice. That's not happening. Um, but just the fact that, that, uh, that he would offer to do that was, was really quite something. And I did have other friends do that. I had other friends drive, um, drive me so I could study um, in the backseat there and back. And that at least allowed me to just get, get, uh, get home at nine o'clock and not have to study till midnight. 
And uh, yeah, just a ton of people on the way, but, you know, friends and family supporting you is, is critical. But again, that sort of sometimes falls in the category of things you, you can't control, right? Um, but, but you do, you, you do need to be appreciative and recognize, you know, that, or that because you, you, you absolutely have to have, you have to have luck, you have to have perseverance and, and talent, and you have to have support around you in, in order to achieve uh, basically anything in life. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so well said. So looking back, Jock, would you do anything differently? Yeah, not in terms of the way I've combined the, the, the two things. Um, I mean, one of the smartest things I did is that, so when I started TSN in 2002, as I mentioned earlier, we were only doing 50 games a year. In, in uh, 2008, I believe, or seven, TSN got all the games. So we went from doing 50 games to doing mm, over 80 and doing all the playoffs and the Grey Cup. So the, the, the pressure on my wife and three children, um, you know, became even more sort of extreme. So one of the smartest things I did is that I did that one year of all the games because I, it was such a huge deal for TSN to have all the CFL games and to be the rights holder for the Grey Cup that I, I felt it was important to do that. That was a hugely challenging year. It was also the year I had the biggest number of hours, work hours that I've ever put in at the firm. So not only was I working crazy hours at the firm, I was also doing all this, these games in Toronto, as well as doing all the playoff game on the road, which, you know, in my three young kids at that point, I mean, I had kids who were at that, you know, between two and six or something. So it put a huge amount of pressure on my family. And, and so I was, I got smart and started telling TSN, find a fourth guy, like f- find somebody else because I'm going to, I'm going to not do all these games anymore. You know, yes, the money's great, and yes, it's all sorts of fun. But I need to be home more. So, I uh, over the next uh, ten years, I did fewer and fewer games every year. If I could do it over again, I would have done even fewer games than I did. So that that's probably the one thing I would say is that I, I, um, you know, I, I'm I'm certainly uh, making up for lost time. I think now um, with my kids being teenagers and being here all the time and coaching football and and doing music and driving them here, there, and everywhere. Um, and and I'm very thankful for that. And that's the reason why I retired uh, three years ago from TSN is because I really wanted to spend, now that I saw my kids growing up and about to leave, that I wanted to spend every minute I could with them. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I think the one thing is just, I probably would have backed off a little bit, but I've never been a, I, I've never been a crazy uh, billable hours guy at the firm. Like I work hard, but I'm not one of those guys who's going to do 2,200 hours a year. And I refuse to be that guy. That's why I didn't go to a big Toronto uh, downtown firm. And, and so I'm, I'm still happy with that decision. Um, but it is, all, again, it's all about trying to strike that balance. Right, right. Oh, what an incredible journey and story. And I really thank you for sharing all of that with us. Just one last question. What is the most important thing you'd like listeners to take away from our conversation? I would say it's the importance of balance. You know, if you're, it doesn't matter where you are in your career. You could be a law student. Um, you could be an undergrad looking to get go to law school. You could be, a, you know, you could be a 30 years in, in, in the profession. We sometimes get uh, pigeonholed, uh, whatever we're doing, um, whoever we are, we get pigeonholed and told, well, this is the one thing that you do. You, you better, you better do it well. You better do it often. Um, and, I personally don't believe in that. I, I I just think that we've got we have one life to live, and I don't. I didn't want to look back and look at a thirty year law career, for example, and see nothing but, you know, thousands and thousands of billable hours and lots of money made. But that's all I have to show for it. I mean, there, there, there's there's so much more. There's there's relationships with family and friends. There's music. There's the arts. There's 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 sports. There's there's fitness. There's, there's so, I mean, life's made up of obviously so many elements. 
And uh, I've, I've tried to live my life and still do strive to live my life in a way that, that, that's, that is all about balance and balancing many different aspects. And just because you are a football player doesn't mean you can't be uh, an academic or be a lawyer or be a musician or what, what have you. So that's the biggest uh, thing that I'm, I espouse when I, when I do talks to, to, to folks. And, and hopefully that might be their, their takeaway from this. Yeah, yeah. Well, so well said and uh, just such an incredibly valuable message. So thank you, Jock. Really appreciate you taking so much time to speak with us. And uh, I wish you all the best in slowing down. <laughs> thank you. That is, that's, that's the next goal. I can tell you it's, it's not easy, but that, that is what I'm striving to do. We don't focus on health and exercise and family and, and just taking it easy. Um, so, so thank you, Shelley. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me today on the Excel Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at XLLegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.